You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. The things that I enjoyed relating the most, because I learned the most from them, were my failures rather than my successes. I, you know, I've blown a lot of things in my life. A lot of things I've tried didn't work. USA Today founder Al Newharth. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Do you have to be a kind of an SOB to be a success? And what kind of connotation does that term even have anymore? Those were two of the key questions that Al Newharth tried to address in his best-selling book, Confessions of an SOB. Well, Al Newharth was founder of USA Today, as well as the Freedom Forum and the Newseum. So apparently being a bit of an SOB helped him. So here now, from 1990, Al Newharth. Are you an SOB? Well, I think so. By my definition, yes. I, I think others can judge better whether I'm a bad one or a borderline one or a lovable one, but I fit one of those descriptions. But I hear so many people describe you in terms furthest possible from SOB. They, they dis- describe you in magnanimous terms. <laughs> How do you explain this dichotomy? <laughs> Well, perhaps they know me better than I do, or, or maybe not. I uh, You have to define the term. I think uh, uh, many people, uh, especially in the Bible Belt, we discovered, still think that SOB uh, somehow is related to a term that was coined in, in Great Britain back in the 18th century. Uh, son of a bitch it reflects unfavorably on one's mother. I don't uh, think SOB in this day and age means that at all. I think when people use the term now, especially if they have a smile on their face. Uh, They have some admiration, maybe grudging admiration, for the person they're calling an SOB. If they have a smirk on their face, it means that you're kind of a pain to them. But uh, nevertheless, it's it's used in more kindly way than it used to be. But it also doesn't convey a feeling of, I'm smiling now, and we're shaking hands on this deal now, but don't you dare do a thing to me or I'll cut your throat. I don't think that. I, I hope what it conveys is that I'm smiling and I'm at the same time I'm trying to outfox you and outmaneuver you and outcharm you if I can. And I think there's a difference between that and, and knifing them or cutting their throat. <laughs> I couldn't help but think of the contrast, though, between, uh, again, going back to some of the things you learned in kindergarten, and then you have the rules, if somebody has something you want, take it. You have something they want, protect it. Do we learn that in kindergarten, too? Well, I think you learn that uh, in trying to survive, and it depends on what environment you were in when you went to kindergarten and when you were a youngster. I grew up in a fairly difficult environment during the Depression out in South Dakota. My father died when I was not quite two years old, and and so my mother uh, taught me that uh, no one's going to hand you anything on a platter and that... uh, it's essential for you, uh, to, if you want to achieve, to really work at it. Do you have to, along the way, as you're climbing the ladder of success, if I may use that cliche, do you have to, if I may use another cliche, stop and smell the roses along the way? Or as I heard one commentator one morning say, you have to stop and smell the coffee. Well, I don't think you have to stop at all, but I think you have to reflect and, and uh, learn and enjoy. And uh, you can't do that unless you take some time to pause in your own way. Uh, but I don't think that means that you have to stop or slow down too much. Uh, I'm 67 years old, and I've been living at a pretty fast pace, and uh, 
for me, running pretty hard is is enjoyable, and uh, so that's really smelling the roses in my way. Is your book a a business book, a success book, a a philosophy book, a a lifestyle book? Where or does it fit all those categories? None of the above, or all of the above. The <laughs> publishers asked me that. I. I, there have been a lot of descriptions of it. The New York Times called it a primer for those who want to get ahead in life, and I hope that that's pretty close. It's a collection of lessons that I learned, uh, some of which I think apply across the board, some of which are entertaining, some amusing, some irritating, some frustrating. Uh, the things that I enjoyed relating the most, because I learned the most from them, was uh, were my failures rather than my successes. I, you know, I've blown a lot of things in my life. A lot of things I've tried didn't work. And I was bloodied and beaten uh, uh, fairly early on in life. And I think the failures, if if you can relate them in a way that others can learn from them, are more beneficial perhaps in your successes. I was going to say, if I recall, don't don't you say in the book that, that it is necessary to fail? Well, I think it's essential for you to fail uh, if you're going to become a risk taker and a, and a, a bigger success later on. I, uh, I failed uh, before I was 30. I went broke at age 29 in a in a big venture. It was a big venture for me at that time. And I was young enough so that I, I could learn from it uh, and dust myself off uh, and go on again. Also, just old enough to, to recognize what the lessons were and that I was the one who caused the failure. I have two children, uh, grown-up children, a son, 37, daughter, 35. Neither one has yet failed. I was with the daughter last night and told her to hurry because it may be too late. If she gets beyond 40, I think it's too late. <laughs> her, her failure clock is ticking. Yes. <laughs> but how do you look at, especially one of your own children in the eye, and say, you're too successful, you're going to have to fail at something soon? Well, I believe that, that only once you've failed in something substantial are you then no longer afraid. Most people are afraid of failure. Uh, that never occurs to me anymore because I failed often enough, young enough, seriously enough, so that uh, I'm willing to take almost any kind of risk. I, I measure the risk-reward ratio, but I'm not afraid of risk-taking. And I think if you've been comfortable and successful without interruption, uh, you're, un- you're less likely to do that. After this short break, how do you know when you've crossed the line and have become a real SOB? Back to my 1990 interview with Al Newharth. What's the difference between you and the man or the woman who runs a, one newspaper in one town somewhere in South Dakota, in Illinois, Oregon, Wisconsin, wherever? What's the difference between that person and someone who, who has to drive on and on and acquire more and more and found a newspaper and do this and do the, have a foundation? And people well, do? I think that person uh, has been successful at what he or she has been doing. See, I, I would still be running a newspaper in South Dakota if I'd succeeded, but I didn't. I failed, and so I had to run away from home and try again somewhere else. The advice in this book says to outfox your enemies, outcharm your friends, outdo yourself, and have a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> well, of course, I think the latter is the best advice for any of us in, in any endeavor. Uh, I uh, have a lot of friends who are not very happy at what they're doing, and their results generally reflect that. Uh, I think you need to be interested in and, and uh, satisfied or pleased, uh, happy at what you're doing, for it to really work for you, whatever your chosen career or profession. But aren't there lots of, especially young people, who figure, 
I make lots of money, I don't care. I can put up with the long hours and the rotten conditions. As long as I take home a decent paycheck, I'm all set. Well, if that makes them happy uh, short term, uh, then they'll do well. But ultimately, I think there has to be a little more than that in it. You know, uh, uh, just economic success uh, in itself is not much of a virtue. How do you know when you've crossed the line? You're no longer a good SOB. You've become a real SOB. <laughs> well, you see them all around you every day, so <laughs> you just try not to emulate that. No, I, I think you have to have certain standards uh, in in my profession, in the media business. There is a lot of cutthroat uh, business activity, but most of the people I know, and I certainly hope this applies to me, do not do things that are illegal or immoral or unethical. Uh, uh, say they'll scheme a little bit and connive a little bit, but uh, in a rather s- uh, straightforward way. Is, is There's no truth to the stories that we heard a few months ago about the Gannett Foundation buying up what it was, 2,000 copies of your hardcover to make the oh, bestseller list? No, no, there's absolute truth to the fact that the Gannett Foundation bought 2,000 books and distributed them to every college and university journalism department in the country. The Washington Post, which, of course, is a newspaper that does not deal in truths exclusively, uh, suggested that that was a way to maneuver yourself on the bestseller list. Uh, you know, Robert Fulgham uh, is the, the past master at bestseller lists. I was only on it for about three months, but I don't think uh, buying a couple thousand books uh, uh, when your sales are in the hundreds of thousands... Uh, get you on the bestseller. If I knew how to stay on the bestseller list, I'd still be there. So I didn't maneuver myself on the bestseller list. <laughs> now, now if, if you could find a way to maneuver onto the bestseller list, would that be a, a technique of an SOB? Oh, I think so, yes. If I felt there was an honorable way to get on the bestseller yeah, list an, an and honest, stay there, uh, sure, I, I wouldn't shy I mean, away from nothing, that. Nothing that involved anything illegal or unethical. I mean, you, right. Everything was above to board. To some extent, we do that. You know, That's why we come to talk shows like yours. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> this is true. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you like being on tour? Well, uh, yes, I uh, I do a lot of speaking that has nothing to do with the book tour, and uh, I enjoy that very much. I think uh, you learn a great deal from talking to and listening to audiences. And uh, in the past uh, uh, two or two and a half weeks, I've been in ten states talking to audiences that ranged from university students and professors to uh, uh, big three automobile executives and their associates in a place like Detroit. Uh, Farmers and ranchers, small business people in the state of Oregon, groups in Florida, and I find that that keeps you uh, keeps your sense of perspective going for you, and so I enjoy that a lot. I I don't have a rocking chair, even though I'm officially retired, and I still move around. I was just gonna say, do you do you miss the day to day, the the activity, the the the, the deadlines, uh, all the, the the deals, everything that goes along with day to day? Well, no, I did that, and I you know by careful design, I decided that I would opt out of that at age 65. I'd done it for a long time. And uh, I don't miss the deadline, uh, the daily deadline in print. I don't miss the deadline at the bank, which was often more difficult to meet. Uh, but I, I don't have a rocking chair, as I say, and I still stay active and move around a lot. And to me, just going from place to place and people to people uh, is fascinating. Al Newharth died in 2013 at the age of 89. And you can find easy Amazon links to Al Newharth's books at our website, heardeverything.com.
Are you new to Now I've Heard Everything? Well, thanks for finding us. Thanks for listening. We post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And if there was an episode in the past that you missed, you can find it at our website, heardeverything.com. Thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, the most iconic master chef of all master chefs, my 1993 interview with the great Julia Child. They're just afraid of food. A healthy person has a little bit of everything. The idea is moderation in all things. But I think the media has just scared us. They've taken the fun out of food. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Thompson.